Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Jesse Farb. Uh, Jesse, let's start with an intro. Uh, sure. Let's sure. <laughs> <laughs> let people know who you are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, Glenn. Uh, and thanks for having me on your uh, your podcast. Um, you know, we just spoke over a week or two ago for the first time, and uh, I love uh, love the content you've been putting out there. So much appreciated. Thank you. Um, I've uh, I'm a real estate broker here in uh, in Ontario, Toronto, GTA mainly. Uh, yep. Also a mortgage agent. Uh, but how I got there was really through an investor mindset. I was investing in real estate uh, just over a decade ago. I wanted to get into real estate and uh, figure out how to invest, not knowing what I was doing. Uh, and I was able to do that. Um, and shortly after doing that, I left my corporate job and just started investing and doing real estate work uh, full time. So um, that includes a little bit of exposure to the US around 2000. 11, 12, uh, shortly after the great financial yep. crisis. So, it's a yeah, good, it's, been a, it's been a journey. It sounds like a good time to join into the, to connect with the U.S. because that's probably when they were, it was finally starting to circle back and do well again, right? So you probably were on the upswing, the very bottom at the upswing, I would think. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not that we timed it that way. It's just by the time I figured out where the opportunity was and, you know, to get in there, that's, that's what it was. I only found this out years later when I was a very small boy. My, my parents had rented a cottage uh, near, not too far from Toronto. Yep. It must have been, I don't know, five or six. And we get there, they rented it for a week or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I remember talking with my mom. She relayed this story to me. She said, well, how can we get, to, I said, how can we get to use this cottage right now? And uh, she said, well, we paid the cottage man some money. Yep. And, you know, we get to do it here. And something about that um, really stuck with me. I said, wait a minute, you gave him money and then we get to use it. And he does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it occurred to me at whatever age, four, five, six. And, um, and so that was uh, my earliest inclination of this idea of uh, creating residual income, creating time, money, freedom. Um, so you bought you your know. first uh, rental property at the age of six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, beautiful cottage. Um, yeah. No, nothing much happened, nor did I ever think about it for a long time. Yeah. There was a few events like that over my life, uh, you know, childhood that kind of spurred me to thought, think I might have a, that might be where a passion is. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until um, I was graduating university and um, uh, they were building up new uh freehold townhouses near uh, near the university and one of my buddies and his parents had started to buy them um, rent them out to students and that that really piqued my interest and then uh, we graduated we were all in business school and uh, everyone had jobs lined up at corporations and um, I rented my first place and I was talking to my buddies I said hey what are you doing oh I'm working downtown I'm, I'm renting over here oh okay yeah. I'm doing the same thing so uh, in the end uh, three of two of us ended up buying a house downtown Toronto at the time Queen and Bathurst wasn't the, the nicest area uh, going back but we we did it was central the third buddy said you know I'm gonna get engaged soon but I'll, I'll rent a room with you guys for a year or just at a university yeah anyway that's how it started board money 
uh, didn't need a lot back then. And, you know, uh, shortly after we moved out, kept the property and took out a HELOC and everything snowballed from there. So uh, that was my first taste into, you know, actually not at the age of six, but no. <laughs> 21, 20, maybe 22 uh, or so getting started. Yeah, no, it's still a really uh, early age to get to get started on all this. So, so you got that first investment down, and then where did that lead to, uh, to what to your financial freedom plan? How did where did you go from there? Um, yeah, well, there was no there was no plan as such at that time. It was just uh, it was more of an impulse and intuition, um, and where it led to was. Um, so we finished up the basement a little bit there and we both had moved out and we're just, you know, renting it out. And then uh, took a HELOC out yep. and two things happened. I'd have to check my calendar. For one, I, I replicated what I did, um, but with a few different partners. Yep. Started to get my family involved, uh, one of my brothers and uh, another close friend. And we uh, did the same thing with another property in Toronto. Uh, without the moving in part a little bit, my brother had moved in. Um, but uh, at around the same time, um, I had another, someone else I knew who was driving down to the U.S., to Michigan yeah. in particular, um, and starting to buy, uh, you know, properties at 30, 40 cents on the dollar post-crash. Yeah. Uh, buying in bulk, discounted, uh, you know, which was all new to me. So uh, from there was uh, some JVs with him. So and what were they? What was their strategy for buying these? Were they? Were they find them on the MLS? The wholesaling, doing their own direct marketing. How did how did this guy find these thirty cents on the dollar properties? Um, yeah, it was for wholesalers or, or even at that time uh, banks, like lender uh, institutions yep. who had the you know the non-performing assets on their books and um, negotiation. Really, okay, well you got. You know, buying one is what you do on MLS, but when you can put together some capital and buy five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, so that's where they were coming from. And then, um, then there was rehab uh, renovations to bring them up to you know rental standard. Now, we're, these properties were like thirty, forty thousand dollars at the time, and then you put you know ten k in for rehab, and so then you're all in forty, fifty k. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah, and these were uh, outside of Eight Mile, north of Eight Mile, uh, which is outside the proper city limits of Detroit, into the suburbs, like yep. Warren, East Point, and uh, that area. Near, we knew that there was uh, strong reinvestment because if you remember, the uh, auto sector had collapsed before the housing sector yep. a year or two prior, and uh, federal government in the U.S. had, you know, allocated at the time, I believe, billions of dollars, but saying, no, we're not letting, you know, the automakers die. So yep. We knew jobs would be there. So then what was the the plan with these? Were you just, uh, were you buying them cash? Were you using financing? Was there refinances involved? What, how'd you kind of run through these? Uh, these were cash uh, purchases. And yep. um, <clears throat> the plan was uh, hold them, you know, uh, collect the cash flow. And then after their season for a bit, um, go back to a lender and, uh, refi. So we're essentially trying to create an infinite return because counting a little bit of market appreciation over some time and, and stabilizing the portfolios and then going back and getting some 
percentage of loan to value, that would allow us to take 100% of our initial capital back out. Uh, and the first, uh, we're buying in stages, right, and all at once, but the first few, we were able to do that within, I want to say, like a year. Yep. Um, and then we uh, we took that capital, you know, you could recycle it and, you know, buy more. But then it started to really take longer. Um, things were, you know, recovering in the U.S. Um, and so the, by the time we did the last refi, it was like 18 to 24 months out, I believe, from the time we had acquired it. Um, but we did get all of our initial principal back out and then deployed it into, you know, further transactions. So for your lending for these refis, did you, uh, were your properties appraising over 75,000, I guess, or did you have some, like some sort of actual bank in, uh, in you know, Michigan that would actually work with Canadians? Uh, these were, I believe, hard money lenders at the yep. time. Yep. Um, so <clears throat> our, our rates then were high. They were actually lower than they are now for some of the things I've seen yep. in the U.S., but... Um, <laughs> It's yeah, all relative. So, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, this, we're talking 2011, 12, 13, so it's quite some time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then that's that's an exciting story. Um, with buying all those properties with cash, I'm, the, the, I'm thinking, for, it's running through my head, I'm like, that's a lot of uh, uh, cash to come up with. So were you coming up with all the principles yourselves, or were you just raising money, or what were you doing to pull off these cash purchases? Yeah, um, everything, even from my first, four, you know, get-go into uh, real estate's always been with partners, Yeah, you know, so uh, same with the U.S. Um, I mean, I had my own capital, which was fine, but then uh, I had, you know, close close friends or family who started to take note of what I was doing, and I saw the opportunity. So, yeah, uh, definitely working yeah. with, you know, and that ties back into the financial freedom because I think investing is a team sport and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how I would ever do what I wanted to do without a loan. You know, can you imagine being like retired or financially free while your, your closest people to you are stuck in a nine to five, let's say, you know, that's, it's kind of like, what's the point? Like good for you. But yeah, so my goal's always been to do it, uh, both for, for business and capital reasons, but also, to help, uh, you know, everyone around me and myself kind of elevate themselves towards, you know, a better financial position. Cool. And then did you keep all of your houses in Toronto and your houses in Michigan? Like, did you still have everything or have you sold some of it off? Yeah, everything in Toronto, yeah. Um, and, you know, been able to refi and pull capital out of there. Um, one of them uh, I did sell in Michigan and mainly because one of my capital partners wanted that capital back so we sold that at, at a pretty good profit um uh, six years out right kind of yeah, yeah all the rest we've we've refied uh no we haven't refied um we've been able to have tenant changeover rent increases and so we still collect everything from those properties to lead to your financial freedom um you can share this or not but um like how many houses did it take till you were uh, you're comfortable enough to leave your job uh and like was it it was it a certain number of houses was it a certain you don't have to say be specifics on numbers or whatever but like was houses was it like a cash flow like what was your 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 did you have a freedom number in mind before you while you're planning for it yeah yeah sure um i, I for sure did have some metrics involved and when I left my corporate job, which wasn't in real estate, um, 
you know, I was in management and prior to that business development and marketing, I, I left without having any of that. <laughs> I just knew I had reached five years and things were good, but I just asked myself whether I wanted to look back in another five years and, and still be working for someone else. And was this really what I wanted to do? And the company was great. The people were great. It wasn't anything I uh, left on very good terms. It was a tough decision. It took about eight months. Um, yeah. And when uh, when I finally spoke to my boss, uh, she said, you know, Jesse, good luck in real estate. And if it doesn't work out, uh, we'll have your management job or one like that here for you. And he, you know, after I said, I wish I wish I called you eight months ago. I would have just left then. And then, <laughs> you know, cause it, it, that was all the fear and everything. Um, but I left and, and I didn't have the cash flow. I didn't have financial freedom. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do, actually. Uh, okay. I was just starting to do the U.S. stuff. I had one house, the second house in Toronto closing uh, the same month I left my job. So I spent all month with my brother on that one, long days and getting it ready uh, for September. And we did. And um, But to answer your question, uh, over my journey in education and learning from others, I, I, the thing that really mattered to me was uh, kind of picturing a teeter-totter where uh, whatever my income was through my quote unquote nine to five, I could equal out or balance with uh, cash flow, yep. a residual income. And for me, that point when when uh, those two were equal, I, I effectively could maintain my lifestyle without doing what I already doing here, which at the time was selling real estate as a broker. Um, and and so that was that's always the goal. And so it changes though, it could change though, because if, if my goal when I, you know, I left my job was let's say over here, this amount of money and I reached it, that, that could be fine. And I could just maintain my lifestyle. I'm not talking about becoming a, a movie star. It, yeah, it had yeah. to do with my, where, where I was currently at. Uh, and then, and then effectively doing that. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a common yeah. thing I hear, um, is that, you know, people, um, well, they set this this mark, right? If I hit this certain amount of cash flow, then I can equal my job and then I can leave. But then you go, well, but then, you know, hey, I have some stuff coming up and I still want my thing. And, and the, the hurdle keeps jumping. And a common theme I keep hearing from guests who um, leave their job is that they, they, they take the plunge. They just take a stab at it and they tend to leave before they actually are completely even and they figure you know once i have the time i will fill in the rest of it i'll figure out how mm -hmm. to fill it in and i guess just if you i guess you have some cash reserves to to survive for a little bit until you fill in the gaps um is that kind of how was that does that sound accurate uh, yeah i think that's that's very common i think that's a human tendency you know we're never satisfied and and that's why i think it brings up a good point i think the idea of financial freedom or retirement and i don't mean i want to go sit on a beach 364 days a year I, I it's not my thing i want to be active i want to be building and doing something but i do think the idea of retirement is a mindset shift more than anything right otherwise you know we're, we're always doing what you said you know almost there got there move the move the goal post so um i do think it has a lot to do with mindset so You've reached the financial freedom. What does your business look like today? Are you still acquiring houses? Are you more doing the broker side? Like what? Uh, what does it look like today? Um, yeah, it's last year was very heavy actually on the Greater Toronto Area broker side. So as a realtor, you know, I was helping people buy investment properties, sell their homes, you yep. know, whatever. 
you know, find them, find the right people for them to work with outside, like in Peterborough and other places, just because of people wanting to leave. Um, so that that's where I spent the majority of time last year, more than more than others, and and still managing and and overseeing the capital that's deployed. Uh, this year, uh, the goal is to re-enter uh, into the U.S. and, and that's why I you know reached out to you because I was trying to refamiliarize myself with what's going on and strategies and structures and all the issues that Canadians face today. So. Lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I still got you've got so many podcasts. I, I, I've got like it's like my reading list is, is one of, <laughs> getting through all the different episodes. Um, it, yeah. It's funny. Like a lot of times, I forget how many episodes and how long they are. And yeah. uh, I'm always like, yeah. Some people ask me some questions. Like, yeah, just go through and listen to all the episodes. And I was uh, even just trying to catch up and refresh myself with some of the old ones. So I was like man, this is going to take me a month to get through this. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, sometimes there were some really good guests and it's just been a long time since I, like, heard them and everything. I'm like, yeah, I think we're, uh, by, the time we, by the time this air, this show airs, I think we're going to be in year three of this wow. the show. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, to go back, like, you just, you're just not as sharp on some of these, you know, you know there's always little tidbits then from, like, years ago that I'm like, yeah, I could refresh even on my own show and <laughs> remember some stuff. Even hearing some people's voices, I'm like, oh, I remember this now. <laughs> oh, wow, but, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, to- totally side tangent. Um, yeah, um, anything else we want to we want to cover in this? Yeah, there's, there's so much we could talk about. I mean, what what are you, I don't want to flip it on you, but what, what's going on a little bit uh, in terms of what you're seeing now in, in, in the U.S. and well, Even there's so much going on, like politically, economically, all the health crisis. You know what? This is a good idea. Let's flip it because I don't get enough where people talking, well, unless I'm talking myself, but no one's actually asking me questions. Um, with my business, we're playing it uh, extra safe right now. So, like, um, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty in Ontario and in the U.S. Um, a lot of people think that it's just the U.S. There's... Okay, just for an example, my house I live in right now, I had a realtor look at it in the start of summer and had a realtor look at it at the end of summer, and the price went up by $80,000, my house. And you're like, that's scary. Like, that is, like, you know, it, you know, it sounds really good, but even if we just went back, because Corona's, put, or COVID, they've put a lot of pressure on, because uh, there's not enough houses for sale, but there's still a lot of people trying to enter the market and there's still a lot of people trying to move and there's just not enough inventory. So it's putting all this upward pressure on the prices. Uh, but what's, what, what's scary is, you know, even if we like, Oh, um, everyone's like, oh, in you know, my neighborhood, they're like, Oh, well the, uh, I'm going to wait till spring. Spring's always the best time to sell. So they're going to wait until spring. And right now my whole subdivision, zero houses for sale. There's, I don't know, 500 houses here, zero for sale, right? Uh, but you wait until spring. Everyone's getting ready for spring, and the same subdivision is going to have, like, 50 for sale. And it's going to change the pressure levels, right? And I think that a lot of people are going to be in trouble, even if it just goes back to pre-COVID prices, which would drop that eight, same $80,000 back. Um, people have refinanced and Bought, the big thing this summer was buying boats. <laughs> like the boat prices went nuts. My yeah. friend was selling his boat that was like six or eight years old for more money or the same money as he bought it for six or eight years ago, which is insane because mm. boats depreciate like crazy. But there's a 
uh, in these people are putting all kinds of upward pressure and they're spending the money is the problem. So it could be um, some problems here. Same similar thing. Uh, I just use that because it's like right here and I have the actual actual numbers. But there's there's a lot of upward pressure and there's a lot of mortgage deferrals happening. So I'm just being extra careful in both countries. Um, so my buying criteria is just getting very tight. I don't want to be doing uh, long renovations as much as I, like I used to do these. Some of them would take almost a year. Like we're doing huge, like gut down to the studs, rebuild everything. And that's that's a risky bit played right now, right? You go, well, th those the bigger the rehab, the, the better the price you're gonna buy it at. And um, there's more spread in it, but for the timeline, I don't want to be in projects that long. I want to be in projects for like four months or less. Mm -hmm. So my mm -hmm. timelines have shrunk uh, what I'm willing to do. I'm not willing to do the, the big rehabs anymore, uh, at least to the same extent. Uh, and it's, it's just being safer. And my, my 2021 is shrinking markets. I'm just um, the bookkeeping and looking through the financials. It's just I'm too spread, right? Because I'm, I'm working really in five markets and in some markets we have several property managers so you're like it's just there's so many portals to log into there's so much stuff so my i've been just be like let's narrow this down and you're like okay well i only have say some of the property managers they are only holding like two of my properties so you're like well they're small right they're in my in my opinion like for what they're holding in me so either I move those properties to a property manager that has a whole bunch of my properties, or maybe it's time to sell those properties, right? So, and that's where I'm, we're going. We're uh, planning on exiting several markets and just focusing on two or three. Uh, and there's different reasons for each one. Uh, like what I always talk about on my show with the, each market has its perks. Some of them cash flow, like, way over the top and some of them but they don't appreciate it all <laughs> yeah. and then there's markets that are the opposite and they get like all appreciation and no cash flow and i don't even touch those ones uh, or there's the ones that are kind of hybrid right in the middle and you get some good cash flow and you get a good appreciation um and you know those are good but you, you still i i kind of it's almost like doing mutual funds they always say like diversify so i just pick some different markets because they all work on different cycles and so mm -hmm. if you have um certain cities get hit harder by uh, COVID-19. For instance, there's more uh, vacancy in some cities, like more the tenant uh, mentality, more tenants don't pay in certain cities. In certain cities, the industries that people are working in are just working from home and that doesn't really affect them. And it also goes into what class of tenants, right, are you working with, right? So maybe those uh, C-class tenants are, they're having trouble because they, they work in like as a teller right and there's a lot that right now in canada that's it's effective but right now in the states they're open right so for a bit like with the, when they did the first lockdown the the teller jobs disappeared right uh but the people who were working from home who had more like b-class neighborhood jobs were they do fine so even it's it's been like a kind of diversification you want to go um deep not wide, but you also need to be a little wide so that you're, all your eggs aren't in one basket because everything's running in different cycles, especially, and they're like putting extra pressure on each thing, right, at certain points, right? So kind of <laughs> spreading out, kind of playing it really uh, safe. Um, 
my goal for the last week of December was to get five properties. And I put out, I looked through, I took like two days. I actually recorded a podcast while I was doing it and I was talking about doing it. But I put in like two days of like 12 hour days of just looking through um, property after property after property. Look through like hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of these wholesale properties. Um, right here I have all my, my cork board and my whiteboard. And it was just covered. And the ones that were like, and I rated them and I did my whole thing. And I put out about 12 of them, hit my criteria, and I put offers on them um, to the wholesalers because I don't even like to pay wholesaler prices. <laughs> um, and uh, I got zero. <laughs> zero out of, and I was so frustrated. I'm like, oh my God, I just put like 20 yeah. or 24 hours in and I got yeah. nothing. Um, but I, you just keep pushing, right? That's the hard, like they always say this in, in books, but it's really hard to do. Um, and you're like, okay, let's get back to the drawing board. More every deals keep coming in, and you're like, let's go through more. Let's go through more, and maybe we look at some different types of deals, right? Um, <laughs> so you, you can like different markets have different deals. So I usually am doing like I don't look at um, buying holds in Florida because their uh, rent to value ratio isn't good compared mm -hmm. to in Ohio and Indiana and Alabama, Missouri, the other markets I'm in, it has the lowest out of the thing. So you, you're like, well, that's really a flip market. But the part that you forget is Florida has more lending for Canadians and we can get higher leverage rates and lower interest rates. So I started looking at, you know, some foreclosures and stuff like that. And you're like, maybe some of these could work as long-term rentals, but it changes things. You're now using a higher leverage instead of a better deal, um, but they still will cash flow about the same because of all these weird factors that play into the thing. Yeah, yeah. And then I started looking at a lower priced houses. I usually want my ARV to be at least 75 so that I can refinance. Usually that's like the minimum mm -hmm. sort of numbers. Um, for after repair, I'll still buy houses for five grand, but I want to make sure they're in a neighborhood that I'll praise for 75 when I'm done. Um, and so I started looking at ones that don't appraise for that. And um, you could buy these houses for cash and then lease option and sell them, right? So they're just looking at different strategies to do it. And you people go, well, that sounds a little risky because you can't do the refi. Well, yeah, but you're uh, we're putting in, we're buying them really cheap and we'll have an exit plan and a deposit and, uh, you know, when you start thinking about it, if you bought, like, say, a $20,000 house and you got them to give you a three or $5,000 deposit, percentage-wise, that's a really high percentage of, mm -hmm. for a deposit, right? A non-refundable deposit. So it's one of those things you're like, and, uh, yeah, and maybe looking at buying some Section 8 properties. I have a few Section 8 properties, but there's people selling them with Section 8 properties. Also, if anyone's a pro on Section 8, I'd love them to come on the show because... I want to figure out how to uh, more validate Section 8 when you're buying. Because people are like, oh, yeah, it's Section 8. But I'm, I, I just don't. I've uh, had my property managers set up Section 8, put Section yeah. 8 in. But for me to buy one with Section 8, I don't. I just don't really need to learn the process of how to um, verify there, that is legit that those are section eight and not just regular tenants um probably a super easy search but i haven't figured it out but yeah yeah <laughs> but i do know that there's local section eight like uh housing offices they're not yeah. called section eight housing offices but they're you know basically the the city and municipalities local 
uh, housing, social assistance. But also the other one that I have seen is uh, from people who are selling Section 8 properties is they can show you a copy of uh, their rent payment, which comes basically from the U.S. government. So if they've got that, then at least it's one extra, like one end of the line way to know that, okay, the tenant was verified at some point and the government's verified it and anyhow. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's a very interesting idea uh, with the Section 8 properties. I did find a lot of them are in the neighborhoods that where we're not going to hit the, the minimum ARVs really yeah. for cash out or refi. So you're getting... It is a way. It, it's guaranteed out. rent or at least partially guaranteed rent. Yeah. And yeah. if you're have if they're in on uncertain times, it might make sense to take them on. Like uh, yeah. they always say, like there'd be extra wear on the property, and that's some of the times I'm like, well, they're like, oh, this they sell it as like, oh, this Section Eight has been here for like 15 years, and you're like, when was the last inspection? Like, <laughs> who's been in this house? Like, what shape is it in? Like, that, well, that's actually, it. and it, I, that's a very good point. Um, and I, my understanding is each each city, uh, it's a little bit different on how. But the good thing about Section actually is the, the voucher that the tenant gets uh, for them to be there, they, they actually are required to meet certain criteria. So the landlord for sure has to maintain the property and so on, but um, if the Section 8 tenant is not taking care of it or they're damaging it, and, and then that gets you know dealt with with management, that's going to be really bad for them for being in the Section 8. Um, so I actually found, I mean, every tenant's different, but I, there is an incentive built in for the property to be you know taken care of sometimes even more than yes. a regular tenant yeah i would definitely agree that it's more than a regular tenant i've had properties that were like completely rent ready and when a section 8 you know they do their inspection they will find the tiniest little things like a door handle squeaks right, or right. <laughs> they they will find all <laughs> kinds of tiny tiny things like that they'll make you fix it and like in order to do it um even if you're like we were we were planning on flipping this house. And you're like it's pristine, and they're like, no, nah, we we got we could, they'll find stuff. They will find stuff. They, that's their job. They they, <laughs> they have to you know give you a few items to deal with. I mean, well, it's just like a home inspector. You go get yeah. a home inspector to do your house. Uh, no matter what house, you could have it. Um, someone inspect it. Like uh, we were selling something, you have an FHA uh, inspection done, and they will go through and they will pick out the tiniest things, and so you fix it all. And then that person can't close because they actually, you know, they had the condition of uh, financing and they didn't actually have their financing. So it goes back on the market. You try and sell it a second time, get another FHA inspection, and they find the tiniest other different things, even though you've already fixed and passed an FHA inspection like two weeks before. Yeah. They will find more tiny, tiny, tiny things. Yeah. So it, it, I've, it's very similar. It's very picky. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Back to a point you made earlier, uh, you were talking about, you know, being a uh, cautious uh this this year or so far and, and there's lots of reasons to do that but also you're saying about your neighborhood um in particular and i've been you know with all the stimulus money that the canadian government and, and the u.s government and the, the trillions more coming in the u.s yeah um it's it's i think any asset uh and there's obviously going to be ups and downs in supply and demand but in general asset prices like uh are where we're going to I believe see inflation, including real estate uh, prices, because all that money is trickling its way to basically to anyone who has an asset. It's not actually going, in my opinion, to the people who need it the most, or not enough of it. But um, you know, if you can, 
you're all these banks and you have all this money left, right? And there is a little supply and, and people want to refinance or sell and acquire new. So, and with rates being so low. So I think real estate prices, uh, both here as, as you've already yeah. seen in, in a lot of the U.S. markets are, have no choice but to uh, increase. I'm not saying that's a great thing either. No, but it, it, it's it's almost like if you're going to compare it to gold, right? Like yeah. gold doesn't actually go up in value. What happens is the dollar keeps getting pushed down in pressure and it becomes less valuable and gold is the standard and it just stays the same. But in, you know, it depends where you're looking from. If you're all sitting on the dollar and you're watching it go down, you're looking up and that, that dollars or that gold is getting more and more expensive. Um I know real estate isn't gold, but it does have the the like uh, inflation will cause houses to be more expensive. Well, yeah, exactly to your point. That what's inflating, what's what's getting ballooned up, is the number of dollars you know on the books. It's not the number of gold, gold bars or houses in a neighborhood. So it never has anything to do with the asset. It's always the relationship between how many dollars are chasing the same amount of goods and, and services. And so, yeah. It's not like the house is changing necessarily or the gold changing, but there's just trillions more dollars that have been circulated into the economy in the U.S. And I was just looking at Canada's, out of all the G7 countries, has spent the most uh, as a percentage of GDP. You know, I don't know what we're at now, like 400 billion or whatever it was. Yep. Um, and, and that's the highest percentage uh, for any government that's put back into their economy in response as a percentage of GDP. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be very volatile. Um, so, you know, being cautious is good. But it, at least on my end, I'm, I'm still looking at the cash flow. Yep. Um, and I know the markets can go up and go down. I think it's, I don't buy for appreciation. I'm not counting on this inflation to help make a deal work. Um, yep. And it seems over time, you know, most markets where there's jobs and people and, you know, income and low rates, we'll yep. see what happens. And you do the, the multifamily argument every time, right? Um, so if you were going to buy uh, one house and your tenant doesn't pay you, you have to cover that mortgage yourself, right? So it's, it doesn't have to be multifamily, but maybe if you're doing this, it may, may make sense uh, to buy more than one house, have a few of them, and that cash flow really good. So as long as a few of them are paying, that all the whole thing will pay all the mortgages. If you're using mortgages, that is. If you're you're dealing in cash, then you're really safe. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you're, you know, some of these houses you can like rent a, these really cheap places for seven or eight hundred dollars a month, and seven or eight hundred dollars a month if you're all in cash is you're, you're, you're as long as you have like one out of your ten properties, like. Um, you paying rent, your your cash flow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, depends what level of leverage, right? And that's just the same thing. If you're talking about Florida, then you're putting higher leverage on, and then you know, hey, if one tenant isn't paying the rent, you're going to have a more difficult time than if you're sitting at uh, a lower leverage point, like typical hard money at sixty five percent loan to value, and you're sitting down there, your mortgages typically should be cheaper because you have less mortgage. Mind you, the rates are a little higher, so it's it's, it's a juggle game, right? <laughs> Everyone is so different, like you said, right? Every market, and then learning the which levers you can kind of pull and push. But um, so you're scaling down, you think, into um, just a few of your markets this year? Yeah. So we're we're still uh, we just put an offer uh, last night on in Florida. Um, we have I think we have one under contract in Ohio. 
and we have two more. Are they, are they under contract or? Basically, we have offers out that are like verbally committed to, but not signed. So mm-hmm. basically, we have three three in Ohio and one in Florida. Yeah, so we're still we're still going, but I'm I'm actively getting out of Indiana completely. Uh, so um, yeah, I there they have a department there called BNS, and they make it very difficult to do renovations. We like we're doing a renovation, and we just get slapped with fines for. Mm-hmm. Uh, unsafe building but we're like it's under renovation so it's this ongoing battle with them so i'm like i'm just not dealing with you anymore you're not mm-hmm. you say you're an investor friendly state but you make my life way too difficult right. so and i'm always you have to go to these online courts to fight each little violation and whereas most states they give you a warning and then you fix the thing they're like oh like you have a dumpster and it's on the sidewalk or something and you're like okay well let's get it let's get it moved and you have 15 days to comply or uh, but there it's just like you know, here's a few hundred dollar fine, right? And right. you got to go fight it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? It's about hang- the lowest hanging fruit. They have amazing landlord laws and a lot of amazing things there. But th- just the one thing just bothers me so much. I'm just, <laughs> they're yeah. going to lose me. They're going to lose me. I'm going to stop fixing up their neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're lost for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, Jesse, we, uh, we talked way longer than I was expecting to talk, but it was good. Like we went into some other interesting spots that we didn't really don't normally talk about which is good i think uh, there's a lot of value in this this show i don't know if i might even break it into two because it's like it's almost like we almost changed changed gears and went a different way halfway through but um thanks for coming on the show if people wanted to uh get a hold of you have a conversation track you down how would they do so oh good question um I guess the easiest way would be send me an email. It's uh, jessefarb at gmail.com, J-E-S-S-E-F, like Frank, A-R-B for Bob. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just uh, thankful to be on the show. I'm glad we could chat and we could pick your brain and like share a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, my, my story. So definitely looking forward to hearing your other episodes and, and talking again soon. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. <laughs>